would you find and take out your Bible, smartphone, tablet, whatever it is that you might have and find the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 17, reading 6 through 14. Thank you so much to our praise band leading us in worship today. We're glad to see you today. It's a good day to be in the Lord's house. I hope that you feel comfortable and already glad that you have come and we're excited uh, that you're here. Something happened today that the uh, first time that I can remember this happening is that we baptized more in the first service than we did the second service. And that we baptized lots more usually in the second service. I feel like it's primarily because if you want to be baptized in the first service, you've got to get here really, really early. So, uh, But uh, Riley and Drew, great job. I, think I told them as, before they were baptized, I said, as you come in, everybody that is a member of Parkway Baptist Church has been baptized. And this, they will remember the significance of their baptism when they watch a baptism. And also, those who have not been are those who do not know Jesus. It is the greatest living testimony that we have of you need Christ too. So we're excited to be always good days uh, for baptism. We have more that we know of that are coming in the next few days, next few weeks. And uh, so you want to be sure to be a part of those things that are happening. We're in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, going to be reading verses 6 through 14 today. This now uh, is the word of God. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria, placed them in Hala on the Habor, the river of Gozan, in the city of the Medes. It says verse 6. Verse 7 says, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree, and there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger, and they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants and the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will hear their land. From Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. we beginning kind of a new series of messages, uh, maybe with a theme verse, this being the theme verse, and also with the idea of living the life that the Lord intended. So beginning today and the next few weeks, we'll be discovering through God's Word how God intended us to live. We'll be asking the if question. If I were to follow Jesus closely when it comes to being his disciple, if I would be his disciple 24-7, 365 days a year, what difference will that make in my life? How will I behave? Who will notice what difference will it make to those I love and to the world in which I live? We'll be looking at various passage, passages in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, the most well-known being 2 Chronicles 7.14. Now, before we're done, 
with this series, we'll be able to make the application that we need to make from this particular passage as well as many others. Now, I know that many of you got up this morning today and you thought to yourself, I sure hope the preacher's preaching from Chronicles or 2 Kings or someplace else like that in the Old Testament. And uh, Well, I've got to tell you today as we come to this place, we, we know that uh, every scripture is important, but many of you know that we're going through a trek to where we're kind of making our way through all of the Bible over this year, next few years actually. And we're in the Second Kings now. We're going to look at important passages of the Bible. Now, every passage is important, but we'll not look at every single chapter and verse, but some of those that seem to be significant uh, for us as well. And uh, We recognize that we do a format like this, that uh, we're not necessarily choosing a topic and then finding the passages, but we're reading the passages of the Scripture, and that determines the topic, determines what we're going to talk about. And I'm tempted from time to time to think, boy, I really need to make this passage more dramatic or maybe more exciting than it is. But then the Lord reminds me that uh, this is the living Word of God. It is living, active, and powerful. Even the seemingly more mundane, less dramatic parts are included for a reason and worth our time and effort. So rather than me thinking that I must speak up for God's Word or the Bible needs me in order to make it powerful, I'm simply a mouthpiece for the Lord, inadequate to do it justice, and we'll let the Word of God speak for itself. Now this passage becomes important because it marks the end of the existence of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and actually begs the question of God's people living in the ten uh, living uh, in the northern part, there were the ten northern tribes of Israel. It begs the question, if only, if only they had repented. Uh, if only they had turned away from sin and turned toward God. Now, we don't want to look back one day and be saying, if only, if only I had followed God more closely. If only I had done this and not done that. In fact, today, if you're here, it's not too late. It is certainly time today to be able to say and commit ourselves to following the Lord Jesus on a full-time basis. Israel was divided into two kingdoms after the reign of Solomon, the son of David. Then there was Rehoboam, so it was under actually Rehoboam. Two kingdoms consisted of the ten northern tribes with its capital at the city of Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah's kings were all descendants of David. So we know that Jesus was a descendant and from the tribe of Judah. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6 marks the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israelites were defeated. Few people remained in Syria, but most were taken in exile to Assyria, never to return again the year of 722 B.C. Now, if you're interested in history, maybe in particular biblical history, you want to pay attention today. But I want to give you another reason to pay attention to this passage today and what the Lord would say to us today. There's a kind of life that the Lord wants you and I to live that is better than any life that you could imagine or have on your own. Sometimes when I'm able to have a one-on-one -on -one maybe with somebody that has chosen an alternative lifestyle or maybe they have decided that they have no need for God or the church or living far away from the Lord, I will often tell them, even if they feel like they're living the dream, even if they feel like they're living the life that God, living life that they want, not that God wants, I'll tell them that, listen, no matter how good you think your life is, God has a better plan. He has a plan for your life, and you need to follow Him. In our text today, we see the nation of Israel on trial, and God is the judge and the jury. They've been sentenced to go into exile, never to return. 
That wouldn't be long before the southern kingdom of Judah also would go into exile, but they would be allowed to return mostly because of the promise of God of a coming Messiah. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, we read it just a moment ago, but it began to lay out the charges. There's a summary of the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord, it says, and the verses we read and beyond give some of the specific charges. Now, in order to understand all of this, we might have to go back just a little bit because in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, there's a prophet of God 200 years prior foretold what would happen if they were disobedient and they refused to repent. Look at these verses. 1 Kings 14, verses 15 and 16 says, The Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers. Scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they've made their Asherim. That is, they've made idols, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Now, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. Hosea, that is mentioned here in verse 6, he's the last king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Nineteen kings had come through, 200 years had passed. So the charges, and if you're keeping up there with your notes, this will kind of help you. The charges brought before Israel is that they had sinned against the Lord, according to verse 7, and they were without repentance. Israel had sinned against God all the while, claiming the title of God's chosen people. Still going through the motions of worshiping God, still going through the motions of saying that they were God's people, but all the while their hearts and their actions were far from God. 200 years had passed, countless prophets and warnings, but still they continue in sin, reminding us that God is patient and He's kind, not wanting anyone to perish, but He cannot wink at sin. He cannot overlook unrepented sin. He cannot turn away from sin. So, Let's take just a moment, and we read the passage earlier there in 2 Kings chapter 17, and it'll help us to, maybe as we move along, to look at the sins of Israel, particularly the sins. And I've just kind of listed them there for you. They forgot the Lord God. Same God who brought them out of Egypt. Same God that had carried them through the wilderness, carried them into the promised land. They'd forgot the Lord. They worshipped other gods. Many times it's mentioned about how they worshipped other gods. They became like the culture. They became like the people who had lived in the land before and all the nations that were around them. They had secret sins. Now, these are being mentioned here, so they're not secret here, but there are some secret sins that aren't even mentioned. They'd sacrificed to other gods. They'd served idols. They had sacrificed their children, literally sacrificed their children to their gods. Golden calves they had made. You might remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt that while Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, been gone for a long time, and there was Aaron, and they came together, and they built, they made themselves a golden calf to worship and to follow. And, of course, that golden calf, well, it got brought back. They did not heed God's warnings. And notice verse 15 says they had become false. They had become false. They worship false gods, and they had become false. They become like what they worship. It is true, you become like what you worship. Now, some of you are uh, reading our 100-day reading plan. We started that on September the 1st, and you can be a part of that still. It's on our website, or we've got those in the kiosk you can pick up. But we began reading in Romans this week. And the emphasis of the first few chapters of Romans is all have sinned and are in need of repentance and forgiveness in order to have a growing relationship with Jesus. In fact, Paul lays out that, which is the great theology of the Scriptures, of course, and he says that... Uh, 
he says in order for there to be righteousness, in order for there to be justice, there must be forgiveness of sin. God has provided it. It is only by faith in Jesus. But you may want to go there. It's going to be on your screen here. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says this. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And not just God's people, but all who ever lived are without excuse and in need of Jesus. And the rest of Romans 1 serves as kind of a mirror passage of the list of sins of not just God's people, but for all who need Jesus, found in 2 Kings chapter 17 that we read a moment ago. In fact, let's take a moment, let's read some of those passages. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and following, it says this. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of the hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and served the creature instead of the, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up <clears throat> natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, these are sins of the world, sins of people who need Jesus, of course. Well, let's uh, do here also, let's kind of list some of those sins that are mentioned that are sins of the world. You might remember that list that we made that were sins of the people of Israel. They'll be similar. First of all, they, today, there are people who worship, or excuse me, there are people who forget the Lord God. They forget all that the Lord has done. They forget the God that's been revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of creation. Also, they worship other gods. The Israelites had worshipped other gods. Uh, also, we read it just a moment ago, unnatural relations with men and women. Well, that may have been the secret sins that were talked about in 2 Kings chapter 17. Anybody ever ask you these days about these kinds of sins and where does it say in the Bible that these are wrong or maybe particularly even in the New Testament? Maybe it's wrong in the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. Well, ding, ding, ding. Here we have it. You might remember Romans chapter 1. Also, covet, malice, envy, murder, strife, gossips, liars, haughty, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Well, who would have thought that had been in this list? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, practice evil, and approve of those who do. Well, stay with me here for a few minutes today because I want to take you someplace with this. But can we agree that these are sins of the world today? 
that these are sins that are still going on today that this might even describe what we see in this world. Well, they closely parallel the sins of Israel. Romans 1, we read it just a moment ago, verse 20 there it says that they are without excuse. The world is without excuse, no matter who you are, no matter where you live. Then he's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to followers of Jesus. And I want you to notice this verse in Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, where it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I want you to notice the pronouns in Romans 1. It says, they are without excuse. Ah, but by the time we get to Romans 2, he says, speaking to the church, disciples of Jesus, you are without excuse. Israel of the Old Testament should have been a distinct holy people. We, the church, followers of the Lord Jesus, should be a distinct holy people. Now, the comparison of Israel, the nation chosen by God to be a light to the world, to be God's people... It's not a comparison of the nation of Israel to our nation or any nation on earth. No, it should be a comparison to the New Testament church. Israel that was to be a light to the nations. The church is to be a light to the nations. But Israel had fallen. They'd been put in exile. They had given up the opportunity to be a light to the world. But we could easily condemn and even stand in judgment of this world in which we live. Or we as followers of Jesus, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, can be sure that we're not hiding our light under a bushel, but we're shining it for the world to see. We can preach against sin, all the evils found in our world today as they are listed in 1 Kings 17, as listed in Romans 1. But until we reveal the truth about the transformation of the hearts and lives found in a growing relationship with Jesus, it will make little difference. Now, make no mistake, the church that is worshiping Jesus alone, the church that is seeking to serve the Lord and to serve others can have an influence in this world. Even to those who, know, who will not turn their heart and life over to Jesus, there's still an influence for good in the community. Israel as a nation forfeited that opportunity. Fortunately, we're going to have some better examples in the following chapters in the next couple of weeks as we look at some of the kings of Judah. But our focus this morning is not on this world. Our focus this morning is not on the nation in which we live, not even just on the church, but it is on you and me and where we stand before God. Can I tell you, I'm thankful for many of the members of Parkway Baptist Church who have great influences on my life, and I see them influencing each other as well as the community and the people in whom they love and some people that they meet in order that they might be able to point to Jesus. But this morning, if you will allow me, just in these next few minutes, we're going to turn this sanctuary into a courtroom. We're going to look with the popularity of courtroom dramas today. Hopefully this will capture our attention. But in this court, you and I are on trial. We are on the defense table. Maybe we bought the best lawyer that money can buy, or maybe we're going to defend ourselves, but our Lord serves as judge and jury. Following along in your notes, you notice there are the charges that will be brought against you. Charges be brought against you and me. This might also be called the arraignment or when the opening statement is made. And the charge today is that you are guilty. You are guilty as sin or guilty of first-degree sin. Maybe that's what we need to say. You and I are guilty of first-degree sin are the charges that are brought. Listen to the opening statements for the prosecution. We tend to prove that the defendants in this case, that's you and me, are guilty before God. 
They are not exempt from their actions or their thoughts because of their heritage, the mass that they wear in public, or even their church membership. I bring these charges today so that they might be made public or even their, or a sentencing might be prescribed. And I plan to bring witnesses to show beyond a shadow of a doubt these charges are true. Was he talking about us? What kind of witnesses are going to come to testify against you and me? Have we really done anything that bad? Boy, this sounds very serious. But listen, at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel, all have sinned. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of sin by placing your trust in Jesus Christ. In this next part of the trial, the prosecution is about to put on its case. There's going to be the testimony of witnesses against you. Who are the witnesses against you? Who are the ones you might be worried about that might show up in the courtroom today that might bear witnesses against your sins? Oh, I hope it's not that girl that I dated in 10th grade. I'm pretty sure she still hates my guts, even though many decades have passed. Hope it's not my government economics teacher. He hated me. I hope it's not my college roommate that comes. Surely it won't be my neighbor who thought I said something bad about her dog. I hope it's not a family member. They know me way too well. Really, I can think of a lot of people who might testify against me if they had the chance. But the prosecution stands and for his first witness, the prosecution calls King David. King David, I thought that he died about 3,000 years ago, but the door opens, there he is in all his glory, and he makes his way to the witness stand. The court official says, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God? King David smiles, and he says, well, not only that, but every word I say is going to be from Holy Scripture directly. Boy, are you getting nervous yet? Prosecution asks, please state your name and occupation. David, king of Israel, former sheep herder, giant killer, man after God's own heart. Please tell the court, if you will, King David, a little about the character of the defendant, your character and mine. And he quotes from Psalm 14, a psalm written by the hand of David, inspired by God, and he says about us in Psalm 14, verses 2 through 3, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Now to get the full impact of what he says in Psalm 14, you need to know how that psalm begins. It begins by saying, A fool has said in his heart, There is no God, or God doesn't matter. He's describing our character, who we are until we meet Jesus or until Jesus comes to our heart. Now to be right with God is different than being right with our fellow man or men and women because sometimes maybe to be right sometimes we compromise a little bit but not so with God with God there is no compromise we must play by his rules to take it or leave it proposition no one in here has to be saved you can turn it down his is a loving plan for salvation no one seeks after God they may seek after religion but that's not the same it is God who has taken the initiative he is the one who seeks after us and while David is on the stand, he also asks another question from the prosecution. Tell us about the conversations and the kinds of things the defendant says. That is, your conversations. You know how some people say that someone might have a gutter mouth? David is quoted in Psalm 5 and says, according to verse 9, For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. Then David also quotes from his psalm in Psalm 10, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. 
while the gift of communication is to bring praise and honor to the Creator, we continue to misuse that gift. The court thanks David for his witnessing, his testifying that today he's dismissed. Then they bring in the next witness that comes in. The next witness that comes in is James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, one of the writers of the New Testament. James continues to talk about our conversations. And James chapter 3, James says, With it, meaning the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Ah, but they are so. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings, but they ought not to be. We're guilty. Probably two witnesses would have been enough, but he calls another surprise witness. This time it's the prophet Isaiah. David gave witness to our character and conversation along with James. Isaiah tells the court about your conduct and my conduct. We find the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 2 through 3. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies. Well, after these witnesses, the prosecution rests. It's the defense turn. It's your turn to give a rebuttal. For our lawyer to stand, or for us to stand and give reasons why we're not guilty, or for us to defend ourselves. But the defense is silent. The defense is silent. Surely you have reasons for your moral character or lack thereof. There has to be some excuse for our conversations and why the words that come out of our mouths are not always good or they do not always match. Can we not give some logic for our misconduct and why it's so reprehensible? Well, we're born into sin. Scripture tells us that. Look around at other people. They're as bad as we are and sometimes a lot worse. Well, we live in this world. How is it? It's not easy to be good in a world that's gone bad. It's not easy to be righteous or to act right in a world full of wrong. Come on, here's your chance. Defend yourself. Either you are innocent or you have the words or some defense to get you out of this mess. Your life is on the line. Your eternity is on the line. It's time to speak up. But the scripture is silent about your defense. I have two older brothers, one younger brother, but... My two older brothers, one is a lawyer and the other works or worked for the Treasury Department for the federal government. So both of them found themselves often reasons to where they would be in the courtroom. And they sometimes would talk about the courtroom. And one time, even though they're in courtrooms often, they've never been in the same courtroom or even the same courthouse until one day my older brother was in the same courthouse and he realized that my brother, the lawyer, was having a case in the same court. So he thought he would slip in. And this was a big case, thought it would take weeks in order to uh, be able to be taken care of. And my brother is grilling the very first witness. Now, in order to understand this, you need to know something about my brother. Wesley is an overachiever. I followed him in school. Now, I love my brother a lot more now than I did then. Because i got to tell you, as I came through school, coaches and teachers, they say, oh, you're Wesley's brother. We'll be expecting a lot out of you. And I tell them, prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> but as he watched this case that was a big case, expected to take, you know, weeks if, in order, lots and lots of witnesses, 
My brother was grilling the very first witness, and when he got through the very first witness, the other side conceded. I heard him talking a conversation between my brothers, and one said to my brother, the lawyer, man, you were great. You smoked him. The guy had nothing to say. Wesley, who's also kind of humble sometimes, said, yeah, I guess I did pretty good that day, and I didn't even know you were in the courtroom. But after one witness, his guilt was obvious. You know, the Bible does a pretty good job of proving our guilt. We have nothing to say. We have no defense. So since there is no defense, the verdict is announced. Now, before we announce the verdict, I want you to remember what we read about Israel in 2 Kings chapter 17. Verse 18 says this, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Do you know the very worst judgment that we could face is separation from God for all eternity? It is the worst judgment that can come our way. And according to the law of God, you are guilty. I am guilty. And you and I, we are able to justify our actions. We must throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. There is no number of good deeds. There is no amount of community service. There's no years that we could spend in a penitentiary that could balance the scale or make up for our guilt. But do you know why the good news of the gospel is news? We often focus on the word gospel or the good, but it's news because it's unique. It's different. Every other religion that is out there, there may be some believing that you have to do. There might be some things you might have to put your trust in, but every other religion has to do with you doing something in order to earn your salvation. You're taking part in whatever it is you're after, whether it's karma or to be able to get to heaven or be able to know God or to be able to be God. It all includes our own contribution. Only the good news of Christianity, only the good news found in God's word through Jesus says you're guilty and there's nothing you can do about it. Now it's up to the judge. Not the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Being. And can't God just let this one go? Maybe he could just give you a wink and a nod and tell you not to worry about this guilty verdict hanging over your head. But that's not in his character. He's just and he's righteous, holy, which sounds great until you realize that you're the one that is guilty and he can't just let it go. He can't turn the other way. We know the scripture tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. A death has to be paid. So we have to prepare ourselves for this last part of the trial, the sentencing. I mean, the entire drama of the courtroom has built up to this very point. The fact of the verdict that was coming down, that was a foregone conclusion. Oh, but what's going to be the sentencing? What's going to take place? We fear that what might be. But the sentencing might be a surprise. The sentencing may be a surprise. The righteous judge says, By my law, you're guilty and deserving of death. Separation for all eternity. He could have stopped right there, pounded the gavel, and closed court. Word of God tells us that we're all sinners. The punishment of sin is death. But then it says, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the righteous, loving judge declares, You are not guilty because of the blood of Christ. Believe. Turn from your wicked ways. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, the righteousness of God has been revealed and you are to be able to be justified. Now the word justified, it's a legal term that means to acquit. The guilty person stands waiting for a righteous judge to pronounce his sentence. 
But because of what Christ has accomplished by His death on the cross and the resurrection, we know that God, because of Him, that He took our punishment. And Jesus, the only one who's ever lived in the flesh, the only one that is truly innocent, gives this free gift without cost because He loves us. The bill that was due has been paid. The penalty has been satisfied in Jesus. No mas. No more is needed. There's no more owed. There's nothing more you could do, even if you wanted to. And the judge, the one who has declared that we're guilty, has now come off the bench. He's taken off his robe, and he stood in our place to take our very punishment for us. This is what we've done today. We've read an Old Testament passage, and we sought to be able to understand it because of what we're taught in the New Testament about Jesus. And so what we've learned today is not just about the history of Israel, though that's important, so that we might be able to learn lessons, lessons like the warnings that we need to have, lessons like the fact that there is a plan that the Lord has for us and that we can believe His promises. So if there's a plan for us, well, what's the action for us now? Well, listen, if you're here today and you don't know that you have Jesus Christ in your heart or home in heaven... It is to come to the cross today. Believe and ask forgiveness. Come to the cross and believe and ask forgiveness and give your heart and life to Him. It's the only way that the guilty verdict that lays over our head can be taken away because of what Jesus Christ has done. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, what's the action that we're looking for reading this Old Testament passage in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. You also, not only you, now that you've come to the cross, you want to pick up your cross and you want to freely follow Jesus. Pick up your cross and freely follow Jesus, ready to serve Him. Oh, what great incentive. Have you heard it today? Have you heard the reasons that we want to follow Jesus? It's because of what Christ has done, even though that we're guilty, that He came and He has taken our sins. He's placed them on the cross so that we might be able to live freely. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. One of the passages we've read this week in 100 days, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing... God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So if nothing else today, when we talk about who God is and what Christ has done for us, we recognize His goodness and His kindness to us. It should lead us to repentance, and it should lead us to a readiness to follow Jesus freely. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and the opportunity that we've had to be able to come and worship you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament, New Testament. We thank you that when we read passages in the Old Testament, we're able to understand and see more because of the light that has been shined because of what Christ has done for us and because of the words that have been written. We pray even now, Father, that our hearts might be in tune to you, that we may be listening to what you'd have to say to us today. And Father, we pray for all believers today that we might recognize that we need to take up the cross of Christ so that we might take up kingdom business and be a part of what Christ is doing. And the great incentive is that Jesus forgives. We pray, Father, that there's one or more here today or somebody listening doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. 
that today they might be able to understand that all they need to do, that today they can believe in the Lord Jesus and ask forgiveness. And Christ will give them abundant and eternal life. Thank you for your great gift. It's in the precious name of Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand? singing our song of commitment today we encourage you to continue to follow wherever the Lord's leading you to do today or whatever the Lord's leading you maybe it's a commitment you want to make right there where you're standing today to follow him I want to give your heart and life to him we're going to be standing down here several of our staff I'm going to be standing down here you can come to myself or one of our staff today if you'd like to come giving your heart and life to Jesus maybe you already have but you've never made it public you want to come for baptism today if you're looking for a church home this is one way in which you can be a part of the Parkway Baptist family. You come just tell us while we sing this next song. If you want to join the Parkway Baptist Church, and we'll tell you next steps from there. We encourage you to come follow the Lord's direction uh, in your life. Come pray at the altar. Come pray with one of us. It would be fine. You come as the Lord leads.